0: a German from Berlin, and you a rabbi from California, and I feel as if we're standing on a bridge together. That bridge is the bridge of Arthur Schick.
1: Welcome to the Holy Sparks podcast. Our mission is to illuminate the brightest lights in the Jewish world and beyond so that we elevate the Holy Sparks within us and make the world around us a better place. I'm your host, Saul Kay. If you're looking for inspiration, edutainment, or simply want to discover people doing amazing things in and around the Jewish world, you're in the right place. Let's roll. All right, welcome to the Holy Sparks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I am excited about this interview today. This is going to be a unique interview with a good friend of mine. And without further ado, let me go ahead and edify the man properly. The tireless force behind the Schick Renaissance, Rabbi Irvin Unger, is the foremost expert and leading dealer of the art of Arthur Schick. A former pulpit rabbi fluent in Jewish history and tradition, Irvin entered the world of historic Judaica by founding the firm Historicana, where he served as the CEO since 1987. Urban first specialized in Schick's remarkable illustrated books and quickly expanded his repertoire to include original art, fine art prints, and other important Schick works. Urban's authority on Schick's life and work is internationally recognized. He has curated and consulted for numerous Schick exhibitions at major institutions worldwide, including the New York Historical Society in New York City, the Palace of Legion of Honor in San Francisco, the Deutsch Historic. Museum in Berlin, the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C., the Library of Congress, and the Spurtis Museum in Chicago. Irvin is the author of the national award-winning book, Arthur Schick, Soldier in Art, and Justice Illuminated, the Art of Arthur Schick, the co-producer of the documentary film, Soldier in Art, Arthur Schick, and the publisher of the luxury limited edition of the Schick Haggadah published in 2008, and The Heroes of Ancient Israel, the playing card of Arthur Deluxe, limited edition, box set 2011. He was also actively involved in the nonprofit world as the curator of Arthur Schick's Society from 1997 to 2017, and was a curator of the Society's Traveling Exhibition. Today, Rabbi Urban dedicates much of his time to advancing Schick's scholarship between museum exhibitions and new publications, he is an active educator speaking on Arthur Schick's art at universities and other venues around the world. So, ladies and gentlemen, would you please put your hands together for my friend, Rabbi Irvin Unger. <laughs> Let's go. Right, come on. in the back. Roger in the back. No, yes. You got him. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. Okay, okay, okay. How are you, Rabbi? Nice to see you. Sounds like I'm on Oprah. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you this morning. By the way, where are you? I think you are in the midst of a, a tour or are you back?
0: No, I'm back. I'm in Burlingame and uh, seated comfortably, but no tour. There are things coming up, but right now I'm I'm, uh, I'm well uh, fixed.
1: Okay. I love it. I know last time we talked, I thought you might be in an RV somewhere in the middle of America, but here we are. So just for people that don't know you, talk a little bit more about your background in terms of how you grew up Jewishly and then your entry into the rabbinate. Sure. I grew up
0: in Trenton, New Jersey, which is May be my first public announcement of acknowledging that city. I, I'm sure I've said it before. Uh, I grew up in a a moderately Jewish home, although I went to Sunday school, Hebrew school, and was involved Jewishly in in, in youth groups and in uh, sports events at the local JCC. Uh, went on to college, helped establish a uh, a Hillel at my small. Uh, men's college in western pennsylvania washington and jefferson which i usually don't mention that often anyhow because most people never heard of it then went on to rabbinical school uh, upon graduating from uh, from undergraduate school took a jewish studies program and ma at nyu studied new testament and received at a Protestant seminary upon ordination, tried to learn a little bit about the New Testament, was in the act of rabbinate for a period of 13 years, six years as a pulpit rabbi in Forest Hills, Queens, New York, and another seven years as a uh, rabbi in uh, Burlingame, California, which is the city in which I continue to live. And uh, following conclusion of my rabbinic period of my life in 1987, I launched into uh, into the business world. So that's a little bit of my background, uh, bringing you up to sort of my activities with Arthur Schick. I love it. Okay,
1: great. Yes, there's, there's a lot in there. And definitely, shout out to Trent, New Jersey. You know, hey, you got to own your hometown. I love it. So Question for you. So I live here on the peninsula now, so I'm kind of accustomed to what the Jewish community is here in 2023. But talk about what was it like being a rabbi on the peninsula in the 80s? What was the community
0: like? I arrived here uh, in Burlingame in 1980 from Queens, New York. At that time, uh, you really couldn't buy a challah. You could if you went into one of the local bakeries. They would say, yes, we do have some challahs. That are available. Uh, But there really wasn't uh, much of a Jewish presence in terms of the delicacies, the cultural aspect of uh, Jewish life. Certainly, there was very active reform synagogues, both here in Burlingame and the neighboring community, San Mateo, and then a number of uh, surrounding conservative synagogues 10, 15 miles away uh, several of them. Back then, it, the Soviet Jewry movement was quite active in the Bay Area in San Francisco, so there was quite an opportunity. We were quite attached here on the peninsula to San Francisco and the entire Bay and uh, rallying around the uh, rescue, if we can call it that, and I believe we can, of uh, Soviet Jewish life. And so, The JCRC, Jewish Community Relations Council, the various uh, Jewish community centers, the uh, the rabbis quite connected to each other through uh, our rabbinic council, if you will. And so there was back in the 80s, you know, I thought a pretty active Jewish life, you know, here in the North Peninsula.
1: Hello. So does this predate Oakland Kosher? Oakland Kosher not even there yet?
0: Oakland kosher. Or the Grand Bakery. Well, it was tough to find. Uh there was one Orthodox rabbi I remember, Jacob Traub, uh in San Francisco. So Jacob was sort of the liaison to that. I remember also in the early, I I I, I there weren't many kosher places to eat. I because I had friends who would like to come to the Bay Area who were, you know, telling me that things were scarce when they were coming. But there was also a very early active Chabad uh, Rabbi Yosef Langer, who had established uh, sort of, of the of the hippie world from the '60s and '70s in San Francisco, who had you know established a Lubavitch presence uh, in San Francisco in the '80s, and so you really had a, you know a sort of a diverse opportunity, not great diversity, but you still had a diverse opportunities as Jews at that time.
1: Hello. Yeah. I'm good friends with the rally rabbi rides a motorcycle. He was at my wedding. He's great. We're really good friends with Bill Graham also. So he did a lot there for sure. Um, okay, great. So talk a little bit about your unique. I mean, we, we sat down at an event for my kid's school and I asked you to tell me your story. And five minutes in, I said, this is a unique story. Like I, I don't know any rabbis that sort of transitioned from the pulpit to, to becoming an, antiquarian bookseller i think that's the correct terminology so talk about that
0: transition what was going on sure when i left the rabbinate and i i'm if i calculate right i was 39 and i wasn't quite sure what i wanted to do with the rest of my life the rabbinate served me well and i for the most part enjoyed a uh, rabbinic life quite a bit and enjoyed all the, very, the many facets of it. The same time I was doing some writing for the San Mateo Times, often on mm, issues of uh, social commentary about Jewish life, Jews' relationship to the non-Jewish world, commenting even sometimes on general events taking place within the U.S. You know, within U.S. government circles. And so I liked writing and commenting on social issues. But when I, I left the rabbinate, I wasn't quite sure where all of this was going to take me. Uh, a friend of mine suggested that maybe I might want to try my hand at becoming an antiquarian bookseller. Uh, I had known Stephen since our college days. he he. He'd, rather than pursue the legal world after graduating with a law degree, he pursued the antiquarian book world and thought that that might be something I'd have an interest in because I had a strong interest in books and also knew something about the Jewish community. Hence, maybe the idea of even specializing in books of historic Jewish interest. So I... Wait, can we pause for one second? I'm sure
1: most of my audience does not know what the word antiquarian book, what does that actually mean? Uh,
0: think of the word antiques, which means old antiques. Think of antiquarian as old books, uh just transitioning the use of that word. So... This would be valuable books, books that were not necessarily found in uh, in attics or garage sales. But these would be just like people collect Persian rugs or Chinese vases or beautiful paintings. People collect books and books of great value that talk about world civilization, the impact of great discoveries and creative thinking on the on the minds of mankind. Um, And so my interest became in historic Judaica books that had it. Or books, documents, posters, autograph letters, anything that could uh capture the essence and spirit of our people, that could document its tragedies, uh uplift us when we evaluate its successes in life and its contributions to world civilization. So any of any of these kinds of documents, books became of interest to mine. And certainly Zionism, Holocaust, American history, European history spanning the centuries and so i would seek out these kinds of books and documents i'd create catalogs i would develop um followings by doing book shows where there'd be different exhibitors and booths meet people uh develop this list i would write descriptions of various things i would uh you know things of all things that i would acquire i try to make them more valuable in people's eyes by what knowledge I could contribute or what unique aspects I could learn about these things and hence you buy it at one price, sell it at another because you infused it with additional knowledge of it to its value and worth. And with the difference between what I buy and sell it, I'd buy a chicken for Friday night for Shabbos dinner and use the remainder to buy another, you know, book or two for inventory to keep the business growing. And that was really the beginnings, I really had uh, no idea what I was doing. I I had not been a collector of books and documents beforehand. I really had never trained uh, in going to graduate school in library science or apprenticed with another bookseller. I really didn't understand business. My father really never talked to me about business, and I never had any real money All the right ingredients actually saw for starting a business. And I've actually told my kids, you know, just go for whatever you're interested in. And so but that evolved over time. And I became known as a specialist in historic Judaica. Um, And that became my business some 30 years ago. And this was pre-discovering Schick. Well, in the early days of my business. Well, I actually knew about Schick when I got married, which is... You know, for almost almost 50 years ago. That's a long time. But I was looking for gifts for people in my wedding party and uh, discovered reproduction copies of the Shik Haggadah at Bloch's bookstore in a, which is the largest Judaica shop in the United States in Manhattan at the time, and bought reproductions of his Haggadah was the rab was in the rabbinate for 13 years and didn't think about Arthur Shick. Um, I've often joked to friends that when I was a rabbinate, I when I was in the rabbin, I never really had time to think. Anyhow, there's actually an old joke told about if, if, if people come to see the rabbi and they say that the rabbi is busy, everybody accepts that. But if you, if this, my secretary would tell people, well, the rabbi is busy studying, that really wasn't an excuse, really wasn't a good excuse. So rabbis really couldn't. Really, I, I like to joke about that sometimes, but uh, in, in tongue-in-cheek. But nonetheless, um, I... Uh, I, I became when I was a rabbi. I never thought about Schick. I, I I was very busy with other things. When I left, went into the went into the book world, visited bookstores, antique shops, and I rediscovered Schick's art again and stored away in a little box. I opened it, and they, these colors jumped out at me, the same as those colors of the Hagada thirteen years earlier. And then I discovered a political works of art that Schick illustrated. And I love the idea that here was an artist who was creating religious art, but political art at the same time. After all, for me, the Bible really is a political book about justice, what's right, what's wrong. Here was Schick who was illuminating biblical things, but also, you know, things that were going on in the world during his lifetime, during World War II. Uh, and I just realized that uh, the more I talked to people about Schick, and didn't know who he was, the more it drove me Forward to want to really make this artist well known in the world. And so I became very interested in Schick from my earliest days of when I started my book business. But that took a long time, took time to evolve and kept working and working at it. But that's my initial meeting of Arthur Schick. I was three years old when he died in 1951. So I never knew him as an adult. I met him through his artworks.
1: Mm -hmm. I love it. And just side note, have you met any of
0: his family or, or, or relatives or the balance. answer to that's yes. Uh, in the in the late 19, in the early nineteen nineties, late eighties, uh, I met his daughter Alexandra. She at the time was in her I guess late sixties, uh, and became friends with her. Ultimately, became friends with her uh, for over twenty five years. So I got a chance to understand Chick from the inside. I mean, we really became. She lived in Florida as the visitor once or twice a year. Uh, we always talked on the phone regularly and and I've met other people who knew Schick, other family members. I've interviewed them. Uh, so the answer is yes to your question about did I know any of the family members. Sweet. And at what
1: point in I know you started this book company, right? At what point did you decide I'm just going to focus on Schick?
0: Well, that- it's a good question. The business was called Historicana. First, I called it Holy Land Treasures. All uh, right, and it, which is interesting, some a person met me once and said, "What's Holy Land Treasures? Is that a money changer uh, in Ish- in <laughs> East Jerusalem?" And I knew at that point I I really had to change the name of my business. So, his, it became uh, since I was specializing in books, also dealing with America, Americana, and Judaica. And various fields in the beginning, before I specialized just in historic Judaica, historicana made sense. What happened is, in my there is actually a turning point. uh, Now that you're you're asking it, you know, I would buy and sell books and make a living, and I'd spend time buying Arthur Schick illustrated books and artwork, and would sell those illustrated books, sell original artwork. While I'd always keep developing a collection for myself, which will be someday I would have or maybe even sell. And uh, I, I I but I, I really felt that no matter how, when I was making a living and buying and selling books, I felt I st- I needed to move Schick forward every day. And how did I how could I do that is if I could make more of my income depend upon Arthur Schick, I would be promoting Schick as a result of making a living, but also be able to devote more time to bringing him into awareness to who he was. So in 2000, prior to 2006, I had an idea, was not my idea, it was somebody else's idea, that maybe I should consider uh, working on a reproduction of Arthur Schick's Haggadah. It was generally well known. In fact, that's how most people would know Schick through his illustrated Haggadah. But I've, I had this idea Well, the idea came to me that what if I could reproduce it with that would look like just like the brilliant colors of his original artwork. And so thinking about that, uh, that idea was was um, came into my was brought to my attention sometime in 1994, because I was giving a talk about Arthur Schick uh, at Hebrew University in 1994, my first public talk about Arthur Schick. And it turned out it was the 100th anniversary to the very day on which Schick was born, and I already knew there was something mystical about this because it I wasn't planned, but I, I realized it in the middle of my talk when I said when he was born on June, on June 3rd, 1894, that I was giving a talk on June 3rd, 1894 in Jerusalem, the city he loved. So this idea of creating a Haggadah, and someone came over to me afterwards and said to me, hey, Irv, did you ever think about reproducing the Sheik Haggadah? And I said, no, David, why? And he said, well, because no one's ever seen all of its brilliant colors. That later, that idea, fast forward it by more than a decade, and I got then I was in a position to work on creating a new edition with a new translation commentary, but producing the colors as brilliant as they could be. But in order to, to get to your question about how do, when did I really decide to focus on Chick more? This Haggadah was going to become a deluxe and pre, a premier kind of edition, which would sell for a lot of money thousands of dollars per copy. Uh-huh. So I I made this commitment to create this edition, and thereby, if I can do this, then I could generate from these sales and from what I was doing more income that I wouldn't have to rely as much on my book business. And yet I'd be promoting Schick at the same time and by doing it through his magnum opus, the Haggadah. So as early as 2008, I started to spend more and more time devoted to his art still in the book business because that that was really my main business of making a living. But it made sense that, you know, if I was going to to do this more full-time, I'd like to create artwork or projects and books That would also be an extension of what I really wanted to do. At the same time, I had already been in in the, had gotten into the museum world where I felt that that was the best way to bring Schick to public attention. So as early as 1998, which now I was already interested in Schick for almost a decade, not quite, 1998, 99, I curated my first museum exhibition of Arthur Schick, the Spurtis Museum in Chicago, which was then followed by an exhibition in the year 2000 at the Library of Congress, where, because I had felt that the way to do this with Schick entering mainstream world was to find major museums that would ultimately have exhibitions because thereby that would validate that I wasn't crazy that I thought this artist needed to be famous and well-known again, because he had once been very famous and virtually forgotten but I also felt that they would put their time and their money, their energy, into creating that network, which would then fan out, and I wouldn't have to, as a single individual, be just bringing shit to public attention. But the institutions would be able to do that, and so each of the places where I then went on to curate even more exhibitions at prominent institutions worldwide, each of those came about through non-traditional methods. Meaning, you know, you're sitting somewhere and you want to curate exhibits. So you wrote it, write a proposal to a museum and you hope that they'll accept it among dozens of probably inquiries they get, and they could only have maybe three traveling exhibitions a year, you know, or maybe more, depending upon the size of the exhibition. But I was fortunate enough to have, in non-traditional ways, have major institutions sign in and sign up for and be validators that this artist needed to be more, more well-known. That's a long answer to your question of, you know, how did I first get involved and when I decided to commit myself more to it. But I love it. Just give me one
1: example of what's a non-traditional way that one of those museums curated a chic exhibition through you. What's an example?
0: Okay, I'll give you what the one I think is the most interesting, although there are other, they all are. In 2005, I was traveling to... Um, uh, to Poland for an exhibition of, of Art that I created, reproduction exhibits that was going to be in Ludge, Łódź, which is where I was born, Krakow, and and Warsaw. And I was traveling to those cities for to give talks. And in preparation for going there, I went there twice to Poland in two thousand and five. But on one of those trips, I, I I mentioned to my wife that why don't we stop in? How do you feel about us going to Berlin? You know, for a few days before we go to Poland. Uh, just to spend maybe a couple of days in Berlin. And she said that that made sense. I'd been to Germany before, but never Berlin. And, and so I thought, oh, wait a minute, you know, before I go, maybe they wouldn't it be something if this leading anti-Nazi artist in America during World War II could have an exhibition in Berlin. Wouldn't that be something? So I sent off like 30 emails to in, in institutions and I got no responses, but that's okay. You know, it takes people a long time. Get back to, you know, um, but when, when we arrived in Berlin, uh Marge said, Well, you know, why don't why don't would you like to go see the uh, I.M. building, you know, this Chinese American architect who and it's famous for many buildings, I won't go through them that is created, had 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 created a uh a building had 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 to, uh uh that would be an attachment to the Deutsches Historisches Museum, to the German historical museum, which is the most prominent museum in all of Germany, it's supposed it's, it's in Berlin, where the, at the time had more than 120 different museums. Maybe there are more now. So I said, yeah, let's go, March. And so we went to the German historical museum on day one of our two days in Berlin. Uh, somebody was smoking a cigarette outside. I asked her, you know, would you, you know, do you know who the director is? She told me, Dr. Hans Sotomayor. We came back the next day. Marge walked into the exhibit. I walked up to the front desk and I said, is there any possibility of meeting with the di- someone from the director's office here? I'd like to speak with him. She, looked The woman looked at me and said, who are you? I said, well, my name's Irv Ungar. And well, just have a seat for 15 minutes. I waited 15 minutes. No one she didn't get back, you know, call me over. Germans are very punctual. So 15 minutes and one second, it walked up again. Could you, would you mind, you know, maybe ringing up again? She did. And about two minutes later, her jaw dropped. She said to me, No, the Deutsches Historisches Museum director is on the phone. He will speak with you. I go like, holy, you know what? I'm not going to say it. I only have two sentences to convince this man to meet with me. Mm-hmm. I said the two sentences and he said to me, Come on up, I'll meet with you. I went up to his office. I met Dr. Hans Ottomeyer a man in his, I guess, late 50s at the time. wearing a nice jacket, tweed coat, tie, bushy gray hair. He said, yes. I said, We sat at a round table, only a few feet apart, you know. And he said, yes. And I said, well, I, I'd like to show you some art I brought with me. And he said, okay. I took it, I put it on a table. I showed it to him. It was I never go anywhere without car- carrying reproductions of Arthur Six's art with me. I put it on the table. He goes like this, just like that, so fast. This is great art, he says to me. Who is this artist? I said, this is Arthur Schick. He said, well, has he ever exhibited in Germany? I said, oh, no, sir. He never would have exhibited in Germany. One of the things I mentioned to you on the phone, he was, he was the leading anti-Nazi artist in America during World War II. He, he he said to me, just a minute. And he called in someone who, another person I know what, what was going on. It turns out it was the his assistant, uh, also named Hans, and he turned to him and he said, take a look at this. And Hans looked at it. Dr. Ademeyer said to him, Hans said to Hans, we should have this art in our next exhibition on Kunst und Propaganda, on art and propaganda. And I'm going like, man, I'm off the street now, 25 minutes, and this man's already talking about Exhibit Schick's Art. And then he says to me, no, we should have an exhibit of your artist by himself. And he goes into his pocket and he pulls out something. I didn't know what the time it was, but it was a little pocket calendar. And he flips through the pages. Mm, this is two thousand five, the fall of two thousand and eight. Can you get me a proposal? I said, oh, oh yes, sir. You know, like somebody was responding to a, you know, a, you know like sort of to the to the lieutenant, right? I said, yes, sir. Within one month, I got a, 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 a uh, an email from Doctor Artemar, Irv, Doctor Mister Stronger. In the fall of 2008, we will have an exhibition of your artist in the Do- in the I. M. Pei building of the German Historical Museum in 500 square meters, which is 5,000 square feet, and it will open in 2008. And you know what? In the fall of 2008, that exhibition opened at the German Historical Museum. Of course, I said to uh, Hans Ademeyer at the time, I said to him, you know, why did you meet me? You know, why did you even meet me? He says, Irving, says, you know, No one has ever walked into the entry hall of the German Historical Museum and gone to the desk and said they would like to talk to me about an artist who was from California. He says, if you were from Germany or from Poland, I never would have spoken to you. But no one's ever walked in from California and said they wanted to show me art. And I thought we should meet. And that is how the exhibition took place. And just to finish it off, Saul, with not part of the answer to this, but you know what he said to me at the opening? He said to me, here I am, a German from Berlin, and you, a rabbi from California, and I feel as if we're standing on a bridge together. And that bridge is the bridge of Arthur Schick. And that was, that is a non-traditional, the most non-traditional way. And, and by the way, they created, he, he said to me when I was meeting his office, he Hans, he said, take a book off the shelf and bring it to the table. And he put a book on the table and said, We will do a catalog of of, of your artist in German and English, in German and English. And we've never done a book in German and English before. This is the Museum of Germany. This represents Germany to the the world, It's, it's the National Museum. Where, by the way, everything Germany did during the war, every every aspect of any detail is fully explained, fully out in the open. I mean, it, and, and it was remarkable. It, it, I became, I'm still friends to this day with a German historian, the German uh, uh, art historian and, and uh, the German art historian, art historian and art historians um, from that exhibition. It, it, let me just see. I think I could. Yeah. Here's the catalog. Draw Arthur Schick drawing against National Socialism and terror. I mean, that's look how thick this book is thick, and this is was produced. So that it's one of the, and and that and and they gave me a binder when the exhibit was over because there was it showed me all the publicity that this exhibit had generated. You know, from Cuba to Korea to to Madrid to Mexico, it was all in the press, and you know that was so that was one of my.
1: Amazing story. What a, what, what a great bridge you built. Absolutely. Okay. I know you have so much to say about Arthur Schick. So I want to give brief introduction why is he important and talk about two other things that i heard you say at shul the other day he had the most expensive book in the world at one time if i recall correctly and was on the cover of a very important magazine at the same time as norman rockwell was on the cover of another important magazine so if you can weave all those two things few things together and just a short introduction who was Chick? why is he important And I'll get to some more specific questions.
0: Yeah, I think Schick was important for a number of reasons. First of all, I think he was the most important anti Nazi artist in America uh, during World War II uh, and the leading artist for the rescue of European Jews. I think that's absolutely clear. It's absolutely clear to me. I have no problem having a, a lively discussion with anyone about that and to show where Schick fits within the context of political artists during world war II, of which there were many second of all i believe that arthur schick is the most important artist who created art to help bring about the creation of the state of israel and his artwork was everywhere and i have a powerpoint presentation completely devoted to that i believe that arthur schick was one of the most important artists in terms of being an artist activist in his own time um who embraced several countries, Poland, the land of his birth, Israel, the land of his people, and America, the land of his ideals, where he came in 1940 and ultimately became an American citizen in 1948, three years before he died. Schick was not only unique, not he wasn't unique in this respect, but this is unique, this is important about Arthur Schick. He not only cared about his people, but his people were several peoples. He shows us you can have an allegiance to more than one country and one people. He loved Poland. He he was a Polish nationalist. Again, did not like the anti-Semitism there, but he embraced Poland and its culture, and he believed that Poland had a place to play in the world of art, that art had a place to play, a role to play in the dissemination of Polish culture, intricately a son of Poland. Many of his works are devoted to his motherland, to Poland. He certainly was a great lover of the Jewish people, and at the end of his Haggadah, he'd signed it, Arthur Schick, Image de Israel, painter of Israel, artist of the Jewish people. And when Schick came to America, he fought, he became, in a sense, Franklin Roosevelt's soldier in art during World War II. He became... America's fighting artist for democratic freedoms in the United States. He His artwork devoted to the African-American, a black man in the 40s, well before the civil rights movement. His concern, his artwork that reflected the rights of Native Americans, even in 1945. This was an artist who believed and loved his people, and he used its value system to be an advocate for humanity at large which is if to say everybody should care about your own people, whether you're a Jew, a Christian, a Muslim, and use the best of that tradition to contribute to world civilization. How could one not embrace Arthur Schick? How could I not? And so Schick visually articulated my own value system, which is why he and I have become brothers in traveling this journey together, you know, well after he has seven decades after he, he died. That's why I believe so much in Arthur Schick. And I'll, not only that, I'll add to that, that I... I first came to his art because of the colors, but then quickly realized that it was the messages in his art that people needed to know. Art against uh, injustice, bigotry, racism, fascism, for justice and for freedom. And then I began to to, to understand that behind the great art, and Schick used to say, art is not my aim, it's my means. Mm -hmm. Behind the great art, behind the great messages, stood Arthur Schick, the great man. So I also... I've become equally important in in talking about his art and talking about the man himself because this is a heroic Jew. This is a heroic multinationalist. This is a particularist who cared about his various countries he embraced, but yet he embraced all of them and was a universalist, a particularist and universalist, a nationalist and one who cares about all nations Mm -hmm. and used his, again, I'm repeating myself, but used his value system as a Jew to be an advocate for humanity at large. This is the greatness. This is, And he did it through great art. So if you take the time, I know we're not talking about the art itself. I'm talking more about the man and my interest in the art. And I know I haven't explicated artworks during the short time we have together. And for that, people certainly who are viewing can go to the internet, just Google Schick, S-Z-Y-K. Uh, Google Irv Ungar, if you like. Whatever it is. And you can see more of his works, and 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 perhaps the, the, this this presentation will will include some of those at some point. But that's why I'm attracted to him. Of course, the artworks themselves, the Hagada, uh, his covers for Collier's magazine that you made reference to. I mean, these were these were monumental contributions to both the Jewish art world and to the world at large. You know, Norman Rockwell. The latter, between the Haggadah and Colliers, you know, illustrated the covers of the Saturday Evening Post simultaneously for for uh, for for the Saturday Evening Post, Schick was at the same time illustrating the covers for Colliers magazine. Everyone who saw Rockwell's art saw Schick because. Saturday Evening Post, there were three million copies each, two and a half million of, of colliers that Schick illustrated. His artwork was in USO basis, 500 recreation bases saw exhibit art. His art was everywhere. You know, after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, it's his artwork on, on the cover of, of, of Time magazine. You know, when Roosevelt gave his famous Four Freedoms speech in January of 1941, 38 paintings of freedom of Arthur Schick are hanging in the White House. You know, Eleanor Roosevelt used to write about him in her her columns, and so on and so on. And if we go back then to the first work that you asked me to say a word about, the Haggadah, Arthur Six Haggadah was published in 1940 for the first time in London. And at that time, two things are noteworthy of saying to your audience in this brief time. One is, of course, that the Times of London wrote about it, that this book is worthy of being considered among the most beautiful of books ever produced by the hand of man. And secondly, what's of interest is that in 1940, Arthur Schick's Haggadah, the book telling the story of the exodus of Jews from ancient Egypt and their freedom, liberation. That book was the most expensive new book in the world at the time. It sold for $500 a copy. A Polish-Jewish artist, it almost it's in the beginning of World War II, his book is the most expensive new book in the world. It sold for uh, the equivalent of $500 a copy at the at that time. And so if you were living in San Mateo at that time, or Burlingame, you could have bought a house for $500. But if you bought it, it's a pretty valuable book uh, today. My love of the Haggadah extends very, very deep, as you and I have spoken about. I've written a book about it. I've published this new edition. Also, as a popular trade edition that people can buy for $20 today. Also, not spend 8000 or 15000 or 18000 for a luxury edition, but they could if they wanted to, and they shouldn't be bashful about calling me about that. <laughs> but nonetheless.
1: Yeah. One thing you mentioned I wanted you to unpack just a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, is you said his art was really fundamental in creating or helping to create the state of israel i think i heard you yeah, correctly yeah i did about that and if there's a specific work you can reference that would be useful for to, to take a look at sure.
0: this would not help towards the creation of the state of israel but it took place the year that, that Israel established itself, 75 years ago, in 1948 as a country, which is being observed this week, actually, is that he illustrated the proclamation of the establishment of the state of Israel, its declaration of independence, if you will, which has been reproduced and well circulated. That's most well known among the pieces that are Israel-related. israel, israel related. But he created work for Hadassah, Youth Aliyah, Magain, David, Adon, the Israel Red Cross, um, his artworks appeared uh, with regard to in 46, 47 and 48, with regard to the war, the immigration of Jews to Palestine, where he had artworks that uh, took on the British and their mandate over Palestine. You saw them reproduce regularly in various newspapers, New York Post. Most notably, um, so his artwork was always created for reproduction, so that they would appear on the covers of of leading magazines. Um, numerous magazines, you know, would publish his art on the cover the Jewish Forum. The, I mean, you, you could go right on down the line of, of of where his art was appearing and in places, but. His art uh, dealing with uh, war for independence, um, his his, war, his artwork that dealt with the United Nations and its sanctions it was placing upon Israel in those early days. They would be reproduced in newspapers regularly. So you would see them as early as uh his Haggadah, the original artwork which he worked on from 1934 to 1936 in Poland, had strong Zionist motifs in the Haggadah where he was actually called, suggesting the Jews leave Europe. Again, he's working on these works in Ludge, Poland in 34, 35, 36. Six. Nuremberg laws are being passed in Germany in 1935, and Schick's Haggadah is being produced across the border in Poland, where he's where he's calling for Jews to emigrate from Europe to go to Palestine. Numerous artworks in 35 in the Haggadah, Zionist motifs strongly uh presented there, not un, not abashedly. There are Tattoos, there's a tattoo on one of the Jews in this Haggadah of a Magain David, a dome, Star of David, not a tattoo from the Holocaust or concentration camps, which weren't really known or created at that, or at that time. That's the new Jew who will go and establish the land. So you see this, and even earlier, Zionist motifs in his art. Um, and I believe all of these led up to an awareness and availability and accessibility. How directly, it's not direct, it's indirect, but it's out there and it's... Um, extensive
1: i love how you mentioned that how he depicts you know the new jew the new israelite person going to israel as you know fit you know strong and and, and vibrant Uh, and there's also one artwork that you referenced last time i I saw you that talked about the the ship that was blocked from yes yeah talk a little
0: bit about that well that was that was a work which he did it was called illegal passengership, also called pilgrims. It was a work that he did for one of uh, Peter Bergson's groups, uh, namely Hillel Cook, who had come to America and established the groups called the Bergson's Group, the Emergency Committee to Save the Jewish People of Europe, American League for a Free Palestine, a Committee for a Jewish Army of Stateless and Palestinian and, and Jews, Jews who could fight uh, as a separate unit uh, with the Allies against the Nazis. He created a lot of artwork, and was actually their virtually their one man art. Art department in, in America, Ben Hecht, famous playwright who was part of these groups, wrote about chicken in his autobiography that he appeared before us one day as an artist out of nowhere, who was already famous in international art, um, who worked for eight years without pay for these various Jewish causes to rescue Jews and help establish a homeland, but most notably in one of his organizations, American League for a Free Palestine, and it was this artwork, illegal passenger ship, like the Mayflower had come into America, fleeing the British, so too were these passenger ships, illegal, so to speak, trying to enter into Palestine, so created artwork that brought the two together, uh, putting America and the land of Israel side by side, and this was reproduced as poster stamps, as lithographs by one of the committees, so if you donated a dollar to the committee, you'd get one of Sheikh's reproduction artworks, or sometimes, if you did it early enough, you gave a dollar, you got four of his lithographs reproduced and he was creating artwork uh poster stamps like easter seals you know poster stamps you put them on envelopes and lithographs and throwaways for rallies mass square garden major rallies his artwork be on the cover of the journals so all this to free to liberate the jews of europe and to find a home find the homeland to which they could go Uh, extensive and perhaps in some of these comments i've already made these are the artworks that people will look more into where would you encourage people to
1: start? Get a basic copy of the Shikagata, the twenty dollars version, if they're not ready to, you know, go go to the deluxe edition. Or is there somewhere else you would recommend people start?
0: Sure, I would start by just typing in Arthur Schick in uh, in, uh, in Google and one of your finders, and go to the Wikipedia article, which is excellent. It's it's excellent about Arthur Schick as an overview. I would suggest you could visit my website, which is Schick.com, S-Z-Y-K.com, and just type in Schick and just let your mind wander through the Internet. If you're interested in uh, any books about Arthur Schick, naturally, you could go to Amazon. You can also go uh, contact me through my website, Schick.com. There's an email there, or Ungar, my last name, Ungar, U-N-G-A-R, at historicana.com. That's the word historic with an A-N-A on the end. Com. You can certainly Google. I would like to call it, I proudly like to call it to your attention that in 2017 I created this book, Arthur Schick Soldier in Art, and it's um, it it won the National Jewish Book Award um, in 2017. And and recently, well, just yesterday, I announced to my mailing list the full availability of this book of Arthur Schick Preserved, which is institutional collections of original art lists every institution in the world, 31 institutions that have his original art in them, and lists every single work of art uh, that are in them. And it's an illustrated book, and this is certainly worthy of, of Peel's attention. And of course, the Haggadah is a great way of, you know, embracing uh, early one of his works. And it's also a usable addition to the one produced by Abrams and, and Historic Khan my my business. But uh, those are some ways of accessing him, and, and you'll discover a whole new world. It's just... Mm. sounding
1: what's there. I love it. Okay, so, you know, the rabbis say you're supposed to locate yourself in time and space twice a day. And today is Lagba Omer, the 33rd day of the Omer. Hod Sheba Hod, for all of you mystics and Kabbalists out there, celebrating the anniversary of the site of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, was the author of the Zohar, one of the students and disciples of Rabbi Akiva. So question for you. Do you think Arthur Schick knew anything about Kabbalah, or does that show up in his work somewhere? Is there any connection there?
0: It's a really good question. Of course, this whole interview is unrehearsed, so I didn't know what you're going to ask, but I know right off where uh, mystical passages of Shik appear in his work. If one were to acquire his Haggadah, okay. you saw his illustrations in the Haggadah, and you looked at his uh, Hebrew calligraphy, in the Hebrew, you will see Not in the early editions of the Haggadah is there an English translation, which was done by Cecil Roth, who was not particularly mystical or inclined, mystically inclined. A great scholar, Oxford Jewish scholar, but did not translate that Haggadah, which is part of the reason I did a new edition, which had a new translation, which connected all the dots that Chick was attempting to point out to us in his Haggadah of all its various themes. He had numerous mystical passages of the union of the the E.E. of the yichud between of the kodesh beru of its feminine and masculine aspects, and before performing uh, mitzvot, the recitation of various of this passage uh, uh, continuously uh, repeats itself in Shik's Hagada. So one can accomplish several things by going there. Saul. one could also enjoy a Passover study of Passover or potentially a seder with the Hagada. With the beautiful artwork itself, one could enjoy it with the with the themes that it emphasizes of activism, of Zionism, of Jews of, of Jews standing up against against uh, oppression and tyranny. And also at the same time, if they want to look at the mystical passages, they can do that as well. I have one la- one story to tie the mystical passages, the Hebrew text of his Aggada together, and maybe something about Shik the Man, if I may. Please, it turns out. That in uh, when my new edition of the Haggadah came out in 2008, the following year I was exhibiting at an international book fair in Jerusalem, and because I, I wanted to introduce the Haggadah to a new generation of Israelis, and so I brought my new edition. I was in my booth at a glass showcase in the front of the booth with the Haggadah opened, and a man walked up to me. Um who was wearing the blackest black hat. He had the longest black coat and the fullest black beard. <laughs> and he walked, it's, you know, you've seen him before, but you you never knew, nobody's ever known what he said to me. And he walked up to my booth and he said to me, that's the Haggadah of Arthur Schick in perfect English. I was astounded he even spoke to me, but that did, I didn't expect maybe some Yiddish, maybe an accent, perfect English. That's the Haggadah of Arthur Schick, which he recognized. And then I said, that's, of course it is. He says, may I, may I tell you something else? And I said, what's that? And he says, I know that Arthur Schick was not an observant Jew, but I do know that he was a man with a deep Jewish soul. And for me has multiple meanings, but that Shik has the ability to speak to Jews on numerous levels, from those Jews who use his Haggadah, who are not observant, but who love Israel, to those most observant Jews. This man, in fact, was a member of a, a Hasidic sect, told Dos Aharon, which didn't, doesn't accept Israel as a Jewish state. And yet Shik's art has the power to speak to the Jews on both those extremes and those in the middle as an artist for the Jewish people, as an artist who used his value system to constantly advocate for them, and an artist who had a place in the world at large. And and so it's his Haggadah, that magnum opus that opens the doors, opens the windows to enter into, as one of those great books, to enter into the world of Arthur Schick.
1: I love it. I love that comment, uh, reaction, and I relate to Arthur Schick in that way on so many levels. It's amazing. That was an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing that story. So, okay, here's an off, a little funny question.
0: Do you ever get tired about talking about Schick? I mean, it's been 40 years. The answer is today I happen to be really tired. For some reason, last couple of weeks, I've been, I don't know, I've had flu-like feelings. So I got to tell you something. I'm dead tired right now. You're actually seeing a sleeping man give a a talk. So the answer is... (laughs) No, but but when you start talking about him, you you light up. It's, I saw this happen at, at,
1: at the the show where you spoke. You know, you're very calm demeanor, and then when you start talking about Shik, it's like this this fire comes through you. So so maybe the answer is no. But I was just curious. Well,
0: saw you were in good company. I was once interviewed by a reporter for the New York Times for an article that she wrote about Shik and my, and the Haggadah. and she said to me the same question: Did you ever top, stop talking about? Do you ever stop thinking about Arthur Shik? And I said to her, well, does that include the time when I'm sleeping? <laughs> and she said, so she, so I guess she concluded that the answer is no. I, I, I guess I never get tired of speaking of them. And even when I am tired, I'm still thinking.
1: It, it lights you up. I love it. Okay. So here's a question that I ask everyone that's been a guest on my podcast. And so I'll ask it to you, Rabbi. What do you feel the Jewish world needs now most and why?
0: What does the Jewish world need now? Is that sort of what you're asking? Yeah. What do we need and why? Let me answer it from Schick's perspective rather than from mine. What Arthur Schick devoted his life to, that really filled every sort of um, stroke from his brush or every sort of line from his pen, the chick hoped always to elevate the prestige of the Jew in the world for people to be proud of who they are, you know like that that all human beings really should take pride in what they have and to 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 raise that prestige in the world with with focusing on what you can do as a person and as a part of a community and part of a world. I think, that all of us would do well to take that to heart and follow the lessons that have been prescribed for us by our ancestors, by by those who worked to make the world a better place. And I think that that's what Schick was hoping for. Take pride, be proud, raise our children to be proud human beings, you know? A a sense of worth, a sense of uh, value. And when we start valuing ourselves at our own worth, we can then begin to look into somebody else's eyes, see ourselves and begin to value them, too. I suppose. I think that's what Chick wanted. But look, look, it, it sounds flowery. It sounds very nice. But the reality is that that also goes hand in hand with standing up to tyrants. Advocating for justice. And not being so flowery with our heads in the clouds because while Chic, that was well what he was interested in the man simultaneously was a hater of hate and willing to stand up so that means that means activism that means being activist so that has to be another component of each person of each of each of us so i think those are the worlds that Chick combines and probably that's how i would address it Or how i just have addressed it now i love it well
1: i want to first of all thank you for your time i know you're very busy very busy touring schedule and i really appreciate the work you do in the world and you really opened up such a layer of depth and understanding to shik for certainly myself and so many other people and i just want to bless you that you will have continued success in this work and you will expose more people to this amazing art activist and uh, that it should be successful for all those that see it, that they should feel proud. That that's part of their lineage. They should own it. With that being said, we'll see you on the next episode of the Holy Sparks Podcast. Thank you, Sean. So. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Holy Sparks Podcast. I'm your host, Saul Kay. Please subscribe to the channel. It helps us more than you know. Drop a review. Share this with friends and family, people you think would enjoy the content. And we'll see you on the next episode.